Hi everyone, good morning and welcome back to the Chinuch Chabura. Um, such a lot has happened since we last met. Again, I can see your lovely faces sitting around the table and I wish I could see them. Um, maybe we should do one of these on Zoom um, so we can have a bit of interaction. But in the meantime, it's a recording and I've got lots to share with you. Um, first of all, we are going to look at last week's Edra, um, Pasha Shmini, sorry, the week before last, and then look at um, the one just gone, the two Sedras, Sazriem Seira. And I want them to make a link to next week's Sedras, which are Achremos and Kadoshim, and show you how these have really, really strong messages in Chinuch. And then we are going to start our um, serialized version of Alpidaka Parenting. Um, I'm going to be taking you step by step and also offering you um, support within the week um, in order for you to keep it going and be able to um, help your parenting and communicate with me if you wish. So, um, not last Shabbos, the Shabbos before, the Shabbos straight after Pesach, it might have been a bit of a, a blur for you, was Pasha Shmini. And the two very significant things that happen there that are relevant to Chinuch are the death, the sad death, early death, untimely death of the two sons of um, of Aaron Hakoyin, not of Anavihu, and the laws of Kashrus. And what we I'd like to talk about with the first one, with the um untimely death and we're not going to look into the whys and wherefores of this but what I just want to signpost is the response of Aaron Hakoin. we're told just one thing about Aaron Hakoin, and that is Vayidoim Aaron and he was silent he was silent in the judgment of the Rabbeinu Shalom he didn't question the fact that this judgment was correct. And that has significance now in what we're going through in the way we think and the messages we give our children. There are no questions. This is right. We are supposed to be home from school now. Daddy is supposed to not be able to be in shore now. We are supposed to be all together now in the home for an extended period of time and goodness knows how long for. That is how Hashem makes it happen, made it happen and wants it to happen. And just as we had Vayidon Aaron, he didn't complain, he didn't shout and scream and, and, and taina. That means, you know, say, I'm sorry, I don't think this is right, Rabban Shalom. And that is a message for life in Chinuch to show our children that we are accepting whatever our circumstance is, is what we are supposed to have now. And there are lessons that we can learn from that, as we're going to see later on in this year. Then we have the laws of Kashrut. 
And I'm not going to spend time here. You probably know them, the laws of cash roots. And if not, maybe this is a time to go over them. If you missed the opportunity last weekend, um, after last Shabbos, you're home with the children. It's, it's a nice project to do. Um, but I just want to look at the chinuch aspect of cash root. It's important for us to understand that cash root is about our spirituality. It's about our ruchniyot. And these laws, by observing the laws of kashrut, we are allowing ourselves to go up the, led, lev, the ladder of spirituality, to go up the ladder of ruchniyot. And if we decide for ourselves or we don't know well enough the laws of kashrut, or we decide for ourselves, or we're a bit easy on the children in kashrut, we've got to realize that we are denying them a higher level of spirituality. And that level of kudusha that we're going to look at next week in Parshas Kudoshim is a very important chinuch responsibility that we carry with us all the time that we are educating the children. So it's not only about what we say and what we do, it's about how well we keep the mitzvot and how much and how well we allow our children to keep the mitzvot. We're told, Chazal tells us that, even small children, babies, are obliged to keep the laws of kashrut. You know, it used to be in the olden days when there didn't have powdered milk for babies. And now, Baruch Hashem, we can get Chol um, of Yisrael powdered milk for babies. Then mothers who couldn't feed their children would get something called a wet nurse. And a wet nurse is... Um, another young woman who's also had a baby and is feeding and you know when you lactate when you feed it's endless mostly if you're if you're a very healthy feeder you you have tons of milk um it's important that um so for some people that uh from women would only get another from woman to feed their baby because this was from somebody who was careful themselves in Kashrut. And in fact, I'm just remembering now that when I was feeding Baruch Hashem, I was blessed with lots, lots of milk. And there was a uh, system whereby you could express your milk and they provide uh, an organization, a chesed organization, provided bottles for the milk and you put it in a freezer because it freezes really, really well. It doesn't change at all. And they would collect the milk and give it out to women who had trouble feeding. Um, I never knew who where the milk went to, except for one. And by just by circumstance and, and what happened. And we became very, very close friends and we still are very, very close friends. Um, and it all started with me expressing milk for her baby. Um, so it's really important. It's not something that we can say, oh, you're only little, don't worry, Chol of Yisrael, um, things that are maybe a dodgy hechsha. We're looking at the importance of keeping kashrut, 
to the highest level that you can manage for you and for the whole of your family. Because what we've got to remember, this is not about being physically healthy. Uh, there are millions of non-Jews who do not keep the laws of Kashrut who are very healthy. It's about spirituality. And not being careful on Kashrut actually impedes the heart. It stops the heart from reaching the highest levels of spiritual values, of Anashama, that we can reach. There is a Rashi in Parsha Shmini that says, we shouldn't say, oh, I don't want to eat that, it's not kasher. We should be saying to ourselves and to our children and train them to say, that looks delicious. I can't eat it because it's not kasher. And by doing that, you are giving a very, very strong message that I have desires and actually it looks quite nice and I'd quite like it, but I contain my desires. I don't just eat whatever looks nice because I live by the Torah. And the Torah tells me that this is not good for my ruchniyot, so therefore I'm not going to eat it. Then most recently we went on to Parshat Sazria Matsura, just last Shabbos. And it's very interesting. This is the law of purification um, for humans. And Chazal ask, our rabbis ask, why are the laws of, for the purification of animals, why does that come before the laws of human beings? And Chazal give us famously two answers for that, because that's similar to the question that is asked in the creation in Parshat Bereshit, where everything in the world was created before man. And Chazal tell us that we can look at it both ways, two ways. The first way we can look at it is that if you don't behave as you're supposed to behave. Do you know what? Animals were created before you were. So therefore, you're no better than an animal. And this goes together with curbing our desires. Animals eat whatever they want, whatever they see. Okay, certain animals eat certain things, you have carnivores and herbivores, etc. But there's no further discrimination than deciding whether this is good for them. That is the animal instinct. Also, they eat without a bracha, the bracha that elevates our eating. They just eat to satisfy their desires. Uh, the famous adage, the famous saying, do I eat to live or do I live to eat? Um, we eat in order to live. And it's not only to maintain our physical lives, but also to maintain our spiritual lives. And we have this opportunity every time before we put something in our mouths to connect with the Rabbana Shalalam. And then in the way we eat, there are laws of the way, halachot, the way we should eat. And then afterwards, we connect to the Rabbana Shalalam. You know, expecting children to make brachot before and after food 
is not an owe, is not a is not a difficult obligation. It's a pleasure. It should be a pleasure. And robbing children of the opportunity to make brachot before and after eating is denying them the opportunity to connect with the Ribbona Shel Olam. I'd just like to repeat here something that I have said in previous shiurim, but bears repeating, that when we make the bracha, make a little break after atah. So it's not Baruch Atah Hashem, Elkeinu Melchon It's Baruch Atah Hashem Elkeinu Melcholam. Atah, it's you and me, God. Thank you, God. I, down here, little me, is thanking you, the Ribbon Shalolam. And in that way, you are enabling your children, you're facilitating a connection with the Ribbon Shalolam that they need now and they will need forever. And consciously, but also subconsciously, they will thank you for that forever. So, but on the other side, if you don't give in to your desires, one way if we are animal like we say animal was created before you if we elevate ourselves we say that the world was created for you the world was created there's food there's trees there's now animals and there are all types of things that we can eat and smell and drink and imbibe that's there in order to satisfy you and I heard a lovely marshal on um, over Shabbat that my husband gave. It's like a king. When a king is coming to town, he doesn't just drive into town. First of all come the horses. Then come the carriages with the servants and it's a queen, the ladies in waiting. And then might come lower members of the family, um, cousins or maybe um, the children. And finally, finally comes the king. And if we are master over our desires, we are that king. The animals and the vegetables and the birds came before us in order that we can lead a holy life. But in order to reach that level, we need to be master of our desires. And we need to show our children by role modeling and by teaching. That's always the essence of Chinuch. Role modeling and teaching. What do we do for ourselves and what do we teach and expect from our children? That is showing them that we actually are the king in this world and we're not animalistic. In Parshat Tazria, it, it's the laws of identifying the plague of Tzorat, that is sometimes by some Mepharshim, um, translated as leprosy, and how to get over it, how to get better. And what I want to do is look at, first of all, the spiritual side of that. Look at why this might be happening. But we now have the opportunity to make wonderful connections 
with the laws of Tsarat and coronavirus, COVID-19, lockdown, isolation, quarantine. In a Devar Tsarat that my husband gave over Shabbat by his Rav, Rav Chaim Shmal, he should be Gesundheit Stark. Rabbi Shmal said, actually, it's a shame that we haven't got the leprosy nowadays. If we had leprosy nowadays that was brought on us for actually one of seven reasons, Ahmed Rashim tell us, that we might have been doing wrong, we might be much better behaved. We can live in a false sense of security. Ah, nothing will happen. Ah, nobody knows. You can't see because nothing does happen until now. Pasha's Tazria, which deals with the identification of Tsaras, starts with the law of childbirth. Childbirth is the holiest mission that we women are blessed to do. It's the ultimate. We are partners with the Ribbona Shelolam in creation. And because this is such a high level of Kedusha, we immediately go into a different status. Our status changed from um, Tahara to Nida the minute we give birth. Actually, it begins earlier if you, if you want to know exactly when you become Nida during labor, then do ask a Shaila on that. But the fact is we become Nida. And I was once asked a question by somebody who hadn't yet reached a level of accepting all Malchut Shemayim and accepting doing all the mitzvot as much as she could. And she asked me, why is it that in the labour ward, when you have just given birth and your husband is there and really, really what you want to do is have an enormous hug because you've done this together. You can't. Gosh, isn't that cruel? Isn't that awful? How can this be right? I was asked that on the spot till the woman was standing in front of me. And while she's saying it, I've uttered a little prayer. I'm not sure how to answer this one. Please, can you send me the answer? Suddenly an idea popped into my head. When you have given birth, there are three partners. There is you, your husband, and the Ribbon Shalalam. Without HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we cannot give birth. We cannot conceive and we cannot give birth. And the answer that I gave to her was, you know, you are there in the labour ward and you, you might see your husband and speak to your husband soon after. I can, you can rejoice in that knowledge that you have given birth, Baruch Hashem, to a baby. How do you show Hashem that you are grateful? You show him by keeping his laws, by keeping his mitzvot, his halachot of separating after giving birth. That is your sacrifice, because it is a sacrifice, because it is hard. But you're showing in your Mesirat Nefesh, in your self-sacrifice, that you recognize that the Ribbona Shel Olam is a third partner 
in the creation of a new person. Then the Sedra continues with the identification of Sarat. The identification and then telling us that we have to go into quarantine. Now, I want to share something with you. Many, many, many years ago, one of my sons was given a coloring book. And this coloring book was the coloring book of the Parshiot. And they were gorgeous pictures. Like each Parsha had about six, between six and ten pages, giving different parts of the uh, of the parasha for children to colour in. And it had words at the bottom about what was going on. And I remember as an adult looking at the parasha of when the uh, Tzorat was on the walls of the house. And I can remember thinking, I don't understand this. How can Tzorat be on the walls of the house? How can it be on the clothes? How can it be on everything? And now, 50 years later, or 40 years later, or 30 years later, I have the answer. The answer is this: what this coronavirus has taught us, that this minuscule, minuscule virus that we can pick up anywhere and transmit to another person anywhere, any time is in the walls of the house, is on our clothes, is on our fingers, is in the air. And for that, we need to go into quarantine because it is very, very easily transmittable. Now, when we look at Sarat, we know that we get Sarat for a spiritual reason. And we need to understand that this magefa, this plague that is all over the world, is spiritual. It comes from the Rebona Shalolam. And the Rebona Shalolam can remove it, Yeshurt Hashem Keheref Ayin. In a split second, it could go, just like practically in a split second it went, it, it arrived. Purim, when we heard about it, we weren't sure in Eretz Yisrael, they were much more vigilant. Um, we maybe weren't shaking hands there. But we are, oh, don't think, ah, oh, it can't be, they'll close everything down, look what happened. Within a week, within a week or two, we were all in lockdown. This has come from Hashem. And what we need to remember is, it's about introspection. It's about thinking, what can we do to improve ourselves? Tarat, most Mepharashim explain, is because of Lashon Hara. But there are various Midrashim that point to seven reasons why we are given Tarat. Bloodshed, killing. False oaths saying we're going to do something and we don't do something, swearing I definitely saw this and you didn't see it. Immorality, particularly sexual immorality. Pride, and pride particularly in terms of 
I did this because I'm so clever. I made so much money because I worked so hard. I've got beautiful children because I'm beautiful. That's the pride that the Rebbein Shalom hates. We are nothing without him. And we need to see everything comes from Hashem. Robbery. And robbery is not only a man in a mask climbing through a window in the middle of the night. It's also cheating. It's also charging interest to Jews. It's also maybe not giving back what you've borrowed. And finally, selfishness. We know that we live in the world in the era of the selfie. Constantly taking pictures of ourselves of our children, of the food that we made, of the picture that we drew, of the success that I've achieved. That's what Facebook and Instagram and all the other social media is about. Me, me, me. Now, I'm not saying there aren't useful things of social media if it's used properly and if your rather allows you to use it. But this generation is the me generation. You see children taking pictures of themselves. Look where I am. But we've got to remember, that's just a snapshot. We never know what's really, really going on in people's lives. So how do we use this time of isolation in order to improve ourselves? In order to get to the point when the Rabona Shelolam says, okay, I can see now that you are ready to come out. All those um, negative characteristics that I have described, um, bloodshed, false oaths, immorality, pride, robbery, selfishness, and of course, Lashon Hara, are all what we would put in the bracket of anti-social behaviour. Many people have tried to give explanations. We can't be in shul now because maybe we didn't treat shul with respect. Maybe we spoke during davening when we weren't supposed to. Maybe we quickly rushed into davening and rushed out of davening. I don't know. I'm not here to give answers. Maybe schools are closed because we didn't appreciate what schools were doing. We didn't give respect to the manalim, to the teachers. Maybe our children overheard Lashon Hara about schools who are doing such a critical, critical job and are still doing wonderful things for our children. It's all antisocial. So the Rabboni Shalom says, you know what, just go home. Just go home. Just be with your family. And think about these things and work on yourselves. I heard a wonderful shear by Rabbi Mordechai Finkelman. And it was right at the beginning of the coronavirus outbreak. He'd given it at the beginning. And it was about tefillah and emunah and bitachon. And one thing he said that really resonated with me. I'm, I'm a complete news junkie. Um, I look at the news 24-7 when I'm not doing other things. Um, you want to ask anything about a coronavirus, ask me. I know it. Um, or I think I know it. Or the Rabboni Shalom has helped me to know it. But I, I certainly know a lot. 
because I read about it all the time and listen on the radio, etc. And on Mertzi Shabbat, we had a discussion in our family, our very small family that's only at home now, my husband and my adult daughter, um, as to, did they get it wrong in the UK? How come we have so many deaths, Laura Lena? It's terrible. Over 20,000 people have died in the UK in the last, what, five, six weeks? That's terrible. And the Jewish community has been very hit, badly hit as well. Over 20,000, you don't lose that many soldiers in a battlefield. Not in five weeks. Yet, Eretz Yisrael, the Haftil, it's in the low hundreds. And there are other countries in the world where they have managed to contain it. Have they got it wrong in the UK? And Rabbi Finkelman said something that just put me in the right place. Whatever your government has decided to do and the impact and the outcome that has had, that has come from the Rabbana Shalom. So the UK has got what Hashem wanted UK to have. Israel has got what Hashem wanted Israel to have. South Korea has got what the Rebona Shalalam had decided he wanted South Korea to have. The judgment is perfect. Gosh, that blew me away. And so when my husband came in after that, I said, you know what? Maybe our discussion, we missed something out of the discussion. Were they too slow? Did they not react? Why are the airports still open? They're still letting people in. It's from the Rabbana Shalom. And if that is what the HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants for us to experience, unfortunately. And until we acknowledge it and makabal it and recognize it, it's going to take time for things to get better. In Parashat Matzorah, is about how to get better. It's the purification process from the um, nega, the, the plague of Tzorat. And there are three stages. The three stages is very, very interesting. It's now being reflected, Lahavdil, in the way they are lifted planning to or telling us that they're planning to lift the lockdown certainly the first two stages the first stage of emerging from sarat is you're allowed to come back into the community but in a limited way isn't that interesting we are going to be from next thursday hopefully allowed certain things but maybe with masks and with social distancing in a limited way. Stage two from Saras, in, in getting better from Sarat, is purification. And the purification is we need to make sure that we are rid of it, that it's not lingering anymore. In order to have completely opening of everything, which might take a very long time, here, everything needs to be purified. We need to be purified from the coronavirus. And finally, we're not sure, that's probably not going to happen in England, 
But the final thing we need to do in this stage of purification is bring a korban, is bring an offering. By the time we have come out of this or are coming out of this, the Mashiach will have come and we will taka, be able to bring our offering, the real offering in the Bet Hamidash. So that is just a little look at um, the parashiot that some we missed and some we're going through. And we will continue this theme in looking at the Inyan of Kedusha um, in our homes and in our Chinuch. And I hope that has helped to give you, in order that you can give your children a Torahic perspective on what we're going through now, how to respond, and to always remember how much Hashem is in charge. I'm now going to give you an introduction to Alpidarko. Alpidarko is um, a parenting and teacher training program that empowers parents to be able to understand the needs of their child. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, I thought this is about behaviour. I want to know when my child answers me back. I want to know when my child um, won't do what I want him to do. My child doesn't listen to me. Yes, it's all about that. And you're going to be getting in the fullness of time all those tools. But you cannot really get to the essence of parenting unless you understand your child. That's why this program is called the Alpidalka program. And just maybe for those of you who don't know, it comes from um, Mishle, the book of Proverbs that was written by Shlomo HaMelech, where he says, Educate the child according to his way, so that he won't stray from it. Now, there are hundreds of interpretations of what that means. Does it mean educate him his way? Does that mean Hashem's way? In order that he doesn't stray from the ways of Hashem. Or another general interpretation is find out what makes the child tick. Find out what his natural way is that we're going to be able to decipher from his behavior and from his learning in order that he doesn't stray away from his natural habitat and his natural habitat is a combination of the way he is and the ways of Hashem that we want him to follow so that's why it's called the Alpidaka program um, I've been running this program now for well over 15 years. And um, when I created it, I was the head of a teacher training college at the time. It originally started as a teacher training program. Um, I wanted a Haskama. I wanted um, uh, a rabbinic uh, certification. And I went to Reb Shimon Weingarten Schlitter, um, who was the Rav of the organization I was running. I said, I've created this program. And I'd like to call it the Alpidarko program. And I explained a little bit about it. Um, but I think maybe that's a bit presumptuous because who am I to say this is the Alpidarko program? Um, so he said, leave it with me. And I left it with him. And I came back a couple of days later and he said to me, well, Mrs. Nemeth, 
if this isn't Alpidalco, I don't know what is, which was great. Um, I was then a little bit nervous because I I had originally started um, my whole journey into parenting. I was very influenced by a book by um, a very, very eminent Rav, um, Rav Shlomo Volba, Zechet Tzadit Livrocha, who was actually a visionary in Chinuch. He um, understood children, not only of this generation, but actually of future generations. And he wrote a very little book called Planting and Building in Chinuch, Zorea Ubina Bechinuch, which is still on the shelves. It's a fantastic book. And that gave me the outline of what how parenting needs to be for myself. This was just for myself on my own parenting journey. And then in the course of my studies and my training and my professional life, I came across a particular a psychologist um, called Rudolf Dreikos, who had put together a system of understanding behavior and dealing with it in very, very effective ways that fitted in to the Mahalach of Rav Shlomo Volba. And so I asked Robert Weingarten, I said, you know, can I um, teach this to from people um, when it's teaching psychology? And he said to me, what you've done is as follows. He said, it's like somebody who sits in the dental surgery and they um, open a magazine and find a recipe. And nowadays you would take a picture of the recipe or scribble it down and go and cook it in your kosher kitchen. And nobody would say it isn't kosher. So that's what we've done now. We've taken the elements, the pillars of Ravolba, and I will refer to him later on um, specifically. You will hear me where I bring him in. Um, but we've used the recipe um, of psychology that, that is the overriding um, psychologist that is used in particularly in from circles nowadays. Um, it, you might know of Sarah Hannah Radcliffe. Um, hers is based on Drykus. You might know the books, um, How to Talk So Kids Will Listen, etc. That was written by somebody called Chaim Ginnott, based on Drykus. Many parenting courses in Eretz Yisrael are based on Drykus. So we're on firm ground. And I also want to say that um, since its inception, I have a Haskama from um, now the head of the Federation, uh, Roshag Fragafival Zimmerman Schlitter, and also from Rabbi Greenberg Schlitter of um, the Monks Shul. So we're going to start off. Who is responsible for the chinuch of our children? You know, we very much live in a culture of blame. If something doesn't go right, there's a little switch. And that switch forces us to blame something outside of ourselves for what happened. Your child's not doing well, I'm not so sure about what the school's doing. Um, I don't like the friends that my child has got. His behaviour has changed because of the influence of his friends. I don't like what my daughter wears, and that's because she goes to that school. Blah, blah, blah. We blame, blame, blame. What we really need to be doing is actually taking responsibility. 
it's really easy to blame. It's not so easy to take responsibility. And if you look at a, a spectrum on one side to the other, on one side there's blame, and right at the other end there is taking responsibility. And what that means is in terms of parenting, we need to be taking responsibility for the way our children behave. That is step one. This is about me. There is something that my child is picking up from the environment. And I'm going to show you how to spot these, these trends and these incidences because of me. If everybody takes responsibility, then first of all, there's less blame. But our children are getting a much, much better deal. Because also what happens in blame is children slip through the net. So if I, as a parent, say, well, you know, my child's behaviour is really terrible and it's because of the way the school handles it. And the school has a staff meeting about Chaim Yankel, who says his behaviour, well, look at, the, look at the kind of home that Chaim Yankel comes from. Who's taking responsibility? Who's actually helping the child? And we unfortunately do this all the time. We may blame our husbands or blame the fact that our house isn't big enough or my mother-in-law or whatever. What we need to do is stand up and become the person who believes in that child. In Alpidarka, we have a very important concept called the person who. Every child needs a person who believes in them, a person who understands that they are behaving or not behaving or learning or not learning in a certain way because of something that's happening in their environment. And if and when I can change, identify and then change something in the environment, I will be able to deal with the root of the problem. You should be the person who. Every parent should believe, should be the person who believes in the good of the child. My child is behaving like this because this and this is happening and really he's a good boy. I know he's good. I know he can behave better. And if you adopt that paradigm, that pair of glasses, then already the child is onto a winner because you are believing in him. Is that possible? Yes. But it's only going to happen if you take this parenting course seriously. Really take it seriously. Really take things on board. Really do a cheshben and nefesh. Am I really helping this child or am I blaming him for the way he is? Or am I taking responsibility? And does it need special skills? Well, you don't need to be a psychologist, but you do need to have insight. You need to be able to, first of all, come to the point that my child is behaving in this way because of something in the environment is affecting him. Reach that level of understanding. 
interpret the behaviour correctly and then respond appropriately. And that needs knowledge, skills and understanding, which I am going to give you. I am going to give you knowledge, skills and understanding that will stop you reacting to behaviour and will allow you to respond. What's the difference between reacting and responding? We're going to come to it later. But first of all, the primary function that I want you to think about is your role as a parent. Your role as a parent is a role of leadership. The first important concept in Alpidalco is who's leading whom. So it's bedtime. And you say to Hani, Hani, it's time to go to bed. And Hani says, oh, I just need to finish the end of this chapter. She doesn't need to finish the end of the chapter. She wants to finish the end of the chapter. And if you give in to that want, then it's very likely to say, oh, just one more chapter. And you say no. Oh, you're so mean and it's not fair. And okay, another chapter. Who's leading whom? It's those kind of interactions, when they go wrong, that gives a child a false impression that they are in charge. Now, you might think they like that. Oh, kids love being in charge. Actually, they hate it. Not only they hate it, it gives them a very strong sense of insecurity. Thinks the child subconsciously, this parent doesn't know what she's doing. She just allows me, I can get away with anything. In order to be able to discipline effectively, which we come to eventually, the f- number one is who's leading whom. Now, you might say, well, you know, it was only just the end of the chapter, etc. I will give you skills to deal with that. In fact, I'm going to give you now, although we're going to return to it later. So it's coming towards bedtime. Bedtime's eight o'clock. And you want your child to go to bed at eight o'clock. So at ten to eight, you say, honey, you're going to go to bed at eight o'clock. So that gives her a chance to either not start another chapter or finish a chapter. So when it comes to eight o'clock and you say it's time to go to bed, there's no room for her to say, can I finish the chapter? Because you gave her that space. And that's what you need to do. You say, you know, honey, I gave you that space. Maybe tomorrow you won't start a new chapter when I give you a time, a time check at 10 to 8 or something like that. You've given respect. You've given space. And what is the ultimate in Alpizalco? You've allowed the child to take responsibility for her actions. And that's what you're going to be able to do. So do a cheshbena nefesh. Do a bit of soul searching. Who's leading whom in my family? Go through every single child because some children get you around their little finger, whereas other children just allow you to lead them. Because once they have got into that situation, the only way they're going to get out of it is by you changing your behaviour. 
If children lose their adult leadership, then they can't grow and flourish in a boundary structure where children lead, where, sorry, adults lead and children follow. So that is absolutely number one. Who's leading whom? The next expat we're going to look at is actually the environment. How much of the environment do children see? What do they see about what's going on in home? Now, now we're home 24-7. But always, actually, they see everything. They don't only see the environment, they observe the environment. You know, if you um, have got a bit of something not very, not very right with you, you're not feeling very good and the doctor doesn't know what's wrong with you, let's forget corona now, in normal times, then you might need to go into hospital for 48 hours under observation. They don't go in to see what's the matter with you in hospital. They're observing you. They're taking your temperature every hour and your blood pressure and they're taking bloods and they're looking at sugar and etc, etc. That's how much children observe what's going on in your household and often with binoculars. The binoculars is their perspective. And children actually might see things totally out of proportion to who they are because they're only seeing it from their perspective. Now, what the process is, children observe what's going on, they interpret it according to their perspective, and their behaviour is the manifestation of how they think that relationship is going. They observe, they process, they manifest. Children's behaviour often changes according to the environment. Have you ever been to a parent's, well, I've had this as a teacher. I'll have uh, Mr and Mrs Cohen sitting down in front of me and I'll say, oh, yes, um, Svee Cohen, oh, he's amazing. He, he gets on with his work. Socially, he's very good. And I'll talk for about two minutes and a bit of puzzled look comes on the parents' faces and they're looking at each other and they stop me and they say, Excuse me, Miss Mrs. Nemeth, have you got two Tsvi Cohen's in your school, in your class? Because this isn't the Tsvi Cohen we know. Do you know how often that happens? Now, why does it happen? It happens because children respond to their environment. Now, the bad news might be, oh my goodness, so all the bad behaviour is become of the because of the environment. That's the bad news. But the good news is you can change the environment. Change the environment, change the behaviour. That's the kayach, that's the strength that you have. And it's absolutely fantastic because you can start immediately. Oh, you might say, but you know what? I've got the same environment in my house, but this child does is very obedient and this child is really naughty. He was born naughty. Was he born naughty? Well, yes, it's in the genes. Socialists and psychologists and social psychologists, since they started this study, have been arguing the concept of our children's personalities and behaviours 
um, led by their nature, by their genes, or by nurture, by the environment. It's called the nature-nurture argument. Probably it's 50-50. There's never been a conclusion. There have been interesting studies done on twins who've been separated at birth. And when they've met, when they're in their 30s, there are some similarities, there are some differences, etc. It's, very, it's a very interesting concept. But for our purposes, let's say it's 50-50. So children are 50% of the way they were born and 50% of the nurture of the environment. Well, it's no use complaining about the nature because it's in the genes. But that's only 50%. But you can do everything about the nurture. You can, from today, change the environment in order that the child can get a more positive impression of themselves, in order that they can change. Now, I talked about the process that the child goes through. Observation interpretation in terms of their own experience and behavior. And I just want to spend a little bit more time talking about perception. Because you might say and blame the child, he only behaves that way because he thinks we don't love him. He perceives that he's a sandwich child. Well, he is a sandwich child. He's number two out of three children. But that's perception. I want to recount to you a wonderful shir I once heard of Rabbi Yisrocha Friend, um, who is uh, one of the Magizei Shir of Ne'er Yisrael Baltimore, Shlita, it should be presented Stark. Um, and we heard him give a shir actually in person. And the title of the shir was Perception is Reality. Really? Perception is reality. That's very strange. Because often we'll say to somebody, no, it's only your perception. It's not the reality. Well, let's take an adult scenario. Let's take an adult scenario. You um, go to, you go out, you go for a walk and you see somebody who you haven't seen for two months because you've been in isolation and they've lost three stone in weight. And you, you talk to them from a distance and you say, wow, you look amazing. What's their response? Very often their response is, oh, I haven't got to goal yet. Or, oh, I'm still not as fit as I want to be. And you say, but you look absolutely fantastic. Don't worry about it. It will not change their perception because their perception is their reality. How a person perceives the world is an interpretation of their reality. And the only way to change a person's perception is to change their reality. So let's take that sandwich child as an example. That sandwich child who sees that the oldest child sees to get privileges and the one just under her is a great personality or is a marvellous reader or is very pretty. And every time that Bobby and Zayda or somebody comes in, they notice them. And nobody notices me. I'm the middle child. 
that's their perception because that's their reality. But what we can do is acknowledge it and really deal with it. Ignore the negativity and deal with it in a way that's going to change their reality. And once you change their reality, you actually, they change their perception. So in this scenario, you've noticed that the middle child, the second child of three or whatever the dynamic is, has a very low perception of themselves. So for the next week, between now and next week's share, you are going to go out of your way to make a bit of a fuss of the child, but just one word of direction. Don't talk about the child, talk about what they do. Pick up, catch them being good. Notice the things that they do that's right, however trivial. They came down to, to the table first, they got dressed, they tidied their toys. Make a point of noticing it. And even if you get a kickback, oh, you never noticed before, why are you noticing it now? Don't be swayed. You can rebuild a child's perception by changing their reality. Change their perception, change their reality, change the environment, change their behaviour. Um, so that is the first instalment. Now, I have... Um, been serializing Alpidarco in a written form. Um, and if you would like to receive each week the written version of what I've just said, just to reinforce um, the messages, then email me at jn at alpidarco.co.uk and with pleasure I will send them to you. I also am offering that if you want to reflect on each item as they come up. So this week, you might want to reflect on perception and reality or who's, excuse me, who's leading whom or change the environment, change the behaviour. Um, by all means, journal me at the same email address, jn at uk, and I will, with pleasure, answer you. Have a really good week and looking forward to being with you next week.